The following is a conversation. It has the features of any conversation, such as imperfectly expressed thoughts, ill-considered opinions, and the notions of several sleep-deprived brains. Try not to get your stethoscope in a twist about it. Recording has begun. Do not be alarmed. <laughs> so cold. <laughs> Do you like that sound that I use? Is, is it, it is feels it, like is I'm about a, to start a Mario Kart race. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. I feel alarmed. He's <laughs> like, when am I gonna smash that A button? Let's go. <laughs> I feel like my fear response skyrockets as soon as someone says, don't be alarmed. Oh, that reminds me. Come play Mario Kart yeah, uh, with McCowan on March 1st. Ooh, come play Mario, Mario Kart. Yeah. All right. I said Mario Day. This oh. Is Mario Day a thing? Yeah. It's like, oh, it There's may not. There's a national whatever day. No, like, yeah, I, literally just picked, I literally just picked March 1st for no reason. I did it not may know not that. be March 1st. I can't remember it's what close day to it is. Mar- it is now. It is March 10th. That's cute. I'm not. I'm dyslexic. I'm sorry, guys. Okay, we'll have a second Mario Kart day. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Shortcoat Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Shortcoat Podcast, the show that gives you an inside look at medical school from the students drinking from that fire hose. It's a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. With me in the SCP studio, I have a bunch of folks who are familiar with the all-too-normal human experience of the anxieties of everyday life. It's the sometimes perturbed M1 Hind Al-Kilani. I, yes. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> She's too afraid to speak. I'm Some, perturbed. <laughs> sometimes he's restless. It's M1 Jeff Goddard. Only restless, yes. Occasionally he's overwhelmed. Say hi to M4 Mason LaMarche. That sounds about right. That's me. She seems to have it under control, but she's a seething cauldron of angst. It's M1 Faith Prohaska. What made you think I have it together? And she ranges from concerned to panicky. It's M3 Ananya Munjal. Astute. That was astute. Uh, well, I strive to be astute. I know what it's like. I'm full of anxiety myself all the time. I am a born catastrophizer. I wish it weren't so, but I always jump to the worst case scenario. Is that, does that sound like anything you guys do? I, Jeff doesn't do that. I, honestly, like I am the most type B personality in med school. It see, is surprising that I even but made see, it. But see, I am also known as a type B person and yet there are things about which I am I am type A and the things I am type A about are mostly being anxious oh that's fair first off which for, is an unpleasant thing to be type A about I have to say for all the pre-meds out there and everybody else type A and type B personalities it's a bunch of gobbledygook that's like, not a thing like any category that we try to put humans in yeah. it doesn't work yeah. but also I feel that like we got a little bit of both in all of us right but what about you guys are you are you actually anxious mason doesn't seem especially anxious usually i think i've become more type b over the course of medical school Ooh. but i think ananya could attest like undergrad mason was pretty type a pretty neurotic i think mm. i've chilled a little bit in my wise age i was about to attest that i think mason <laughs> has gotten more type b yeah definitely i don't think it's a good or bad thing i think it's just a thing you know no one's a there is no good way to be but yeah Best I can tell, a seething cauldron of angst is the best way to describe faith. So yeah, I think no, you nailed pretty, that. It's, is it's that accurate? fairly accurate. I'm probably in opposition to Jeff, the most type A person I know, and <laughs> probably getting more and more type A as time goes on. Oh, 
Is that do you She's do just you, winding tighter? Do you feel okay with that? Do you do you resist that? You, it is what it is. I would like to. I would like to relax more. Okay. But we're here. We're doing it. Okay. It's gotten me this far, so it surely can't be bad if I've gotten here. That's not oh, at all flawed. I, right. I, <laughs> exactly. We've lasted this long. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I figured some of our listeners might, I figured some of our listeners might relate to such things because it's that time of year when the only thing you can do is wait, specifically our pre-meds waiting for med school to waiting to hear back from med schools so that they can wait to start med school is a bit of a pins and needles kind of situation. What to do now that interview season is done and waiting season has begun is a tricky thing for uh, lots of future medical students. So I thought I'd ask you guys what you did during this time, what you wish you did during this time, and what recommendations you might have just off the top of your heads for keeping on top of the anxiety of waiting. I will just start off the discussion with a very positive note. Medical school, applica- the, the application cycle was like the worst time of my life. Oh, I, that, I, yes. I, I can it. feel the this positive, is the positive it, note. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was really rough. And I wish that someone who went through the cycle would have told me, like, this is gonna suck. You know, you need to, like, you need to equip yourself. So I think it's especially, I think I sent out, like, I applied to 16 schools, which I know is not that, not relatively not that many. And this was my only interview. And then it was pretty late in the cycle. And then, I mean, thankfully I'm here, but like that process sucked. So to why anyone, were you so anxious? I mean, I really need to know about this because. <laughs> From the perspective of somebody who did has never applied to med school, it seems to me like, okay, I didn't get in. I'll just, you know, apply next time. And yeah. do. I mean, part of it is lack of insight and like lack of recognition <laughs> that, you know, you can try again. But the application is a lot of work. You know, you spent like what, like a minimum of four years, like working hard, getting these grades, doing all the volunteering and all the stuff you got to do, finding rec letters and writing like a ridiculous amount of secondary essays. Paying all of the money for all of that. Yeah, Yeah. paying all the money. It's a huge time investment. And feeling like that just faded away. Was for nothing. You know, is, is is out of your control is really hard to grapple with. Yeah. It's also painful to think like as much as those individual activities are a time investment, we're an instant gratification culture. Okay. Especially our generation, an entire year for this application process, yeah. literally 12 months, even if you did everything perfectly on time, it's still going to take a year. There's no way to speed that up. Yeah. And so if you don't get in, you're saying, okay, 12 more months of my life. Like that's just. And what are you doing in the meantime to like prove to these schools that you have grown, that you've improved on yourself and you've done all those things that they want you to do, but you're. So you're anticipating that problem. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're an undergrad who's like kept on track, right? Say you're like 21 years old. That's like what? Almost 5% of your entire life that you're saying that you have to, that's a sizable fraction, you know? So I get it. I get the anxiety of having to reapply if at this point you're feeling like that might be the case, you know? But to those who do reapply, like, hats off to you. Please keep it up. You know, don't give up, even though it's like it's really difficult, but it is worth it. I mean, the truth is about medical school and getting into medical school. And this is also true about residency. I hate I'm sorry to say it's a bit of a numbers game. Yeah. You know, even perfect students don't always get in on their first try. And, you know, so I guess it's important to be aware of that 
problem while you're waiting. I don't. Is that a good? Is that a good thing to be aware? Of? I mean, is ignorance bliss in this case? I mean, it gets worse in residency, right? So, as an M four, I have a friend who's a couple of friends that are M fours. They're Make applying that face to, again for the camera, Mason. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. I mean, yeah. So you apply to like what? An average twenty, maybe thirty medical schools, right? You're applying to, on average, I think last time I saw it was like eighty ish residency programs. Oh, you know, some people apply to a hundred plus residency awesome. programs. I have seen gets, some pretty stunning numbers. About yeah. The number. So I guess good news out there, pre meds. It's not as bad as it's going to be. Good news, <laughs> positive. I'm just going downhill at this point. Summarize the experiences of over here. I think it's been, this is the worst thing I've ever went through so far, but don't worry, it gets worse. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Hurry up. There's a lifetime of agony ahead. Let's go. I will say this about the- I feel like we've helped people already. <laughs> yes. I will say this about the residency process, at least like- there's a feeling of people maybe want you a little more like they want you yeah. for their job versus med school. I don't know. I kind of felt like most places except here. I felt like pretty welcome here, but it was, you know, I could pick from any of you and it doesn't super matter to me. But in residency, like I think they roll out the carpet a little bit more for you. Some places send you some cool water bottles and stuff. So it's definitely like I feel more loved. but still stressed. Yeah, it, the, I think the nature of the match process that we've already derailed the original conversation <laughs> here, but the nature right. of the match process r- requires it necessitates a little bit of courtship because both of you have to rank each other highly in order to for the for it to work out right so medical school it's like meh there's another one of you right over there we'll be fine <laughs> this is very motivating <laughs> <laughs> i can't wait for matt matt angleton is the producer of this episode i cannot wait for him to listen back to this first part and like, go, that's, oh, that's not, not what i intended you no, find full, like ebby lee miller everyone's replaceable like <laughs> <laughs> sorry everyone you are all wonderful and i'm glad that you're applying to medical school fun things to do while waiting let's go <laughs> the prompt my dear friend ananya hooked me up with a job so i think working's uh super awesome to do in that waiting time i'm I'm working like several part-time jobs right now for the same reason because if I'm not busy I would lose my mind and some of my hair so yeah I think just finding ways to do things that keep you busy and things you enjoy doing are important Ananya hooked you up with a job? Yeah. I'm talking about now, not when you were yeah, no, in undergrad. Assistant yeah, I was a personal assistant for a year. No, she connected me with a psychiatrist yeah. in Cedar Rapids to scribe for. Oh, okay. Sweet. That's awesome. So get a job. I think we were talking about like, is it worth it to do things like for our application, you know, in the meantime, I think it is. I don't know. I was a a reapplicant and I, so in the year after, I guess I was applying like before I had found out, but I was looking into, you know, I like met with our wonderful Iowa admissions committee to think about like, you know, what would happen if I think basically I was waitlisted actually, I should say the first year. So that's why I had some time to think about, you know, whether or not I would get in. And I think, you know, we talk about this a lot, but I was like very transparent about, you know, what you should do to get in the next year at like, at least at our institution. And so I think it is helpful to like know that in advance because it could be, it depends on like how you are accepted or not accepted, but you know, it could be like up until July that you might be on like some wait list somewhere or like in limbo somewhere. So I think it's good to explore backup options or like, you know, moving forward options in, you know, before that July time comes around. So if you do want to enter like some kind of program or some kind of job, you can be ready for that. Yeah, that's that is a hard thing about the process is that you don't find out until July. So you feel like you're kind of in limbo, I imagine, in the sense that even if you wanted to sign up to do something it has to be sort of short term just in case you actually get in but if you don't get in you'd like it to be a little longer to i you know like i I mean i guess if at this point i think it's reasonable to say at this point in the process we're almost in march it's 
if you feel like there's a chance you might not get it in at this point, if you don't have a lot of like good prospects, feel free to start working on those things that you feel like maybe this is what the issue was, right? If the issue was the MCAT, I hope it wasn't. It likely isn't. But if it was, maybe, you know, think about studying and retaking it. If it's, I just didn't have a lot of clinical experience. Now's a great time. You know, if you're going to get a job anyway, go scribe for a psychiatrist in Cedar Rapids or something, you know, like that. Seems like that would work out for somebody. Very specific advice, but I'm yeah, <laughs> you have to come to Iowa for it. I personally worked at a hospital. It was actually part of an externship for my degree. I worked in a lab and I just kept doing it because I loved it. And fortunately, I got in, so it worked out for me. But had I not, that was extra experience that was that I could put on my future application. So kind of worked out for me. Yeah, I would say if you have continuing activities that you've been doing to prepare yourself for the application cycle, don't stop doing those. Like communicating with them, communicating with research advisors, with bosses, with whoever, and say like, you know, I have my interview cycles coming up. I may or may not be as available, but that's eventually going to slow down. And this is something that I still want to be a part of for as long as I can. There, No one's going to, you know, be so mad at you that you're going to do something else that you are so passionate about like medical school and say well you fully have to stop like if that's the circumstances of the program get out (laughs) but like especially for any boss or any like research mentor is going to say okay great let me know when you're able to come back and i would love to have you we'll be able to do that but it's i think generalizing here the instances where people feel like that happens are when there maybe wasn't the best communication of like hey i've got to have you know, I've got interviews coming up and then I might be able to come back later for, you know, a couple months or for, you know, maybe a year after that. And if you don't say that, then it's never going to happen. But if you ask and the answer is no, then you're back where you thought you were. But it can only go up from there. I was finishing up my senior year. So if you're coming straight from undergrad, things that you could do if like if you still like have like a full course load and stuff like that. I figured out like a workout program that worked for me. So that was great. And it's something that really helps now. I started therapy. Do that if you haven't yet. And if you have access to it, it was awesome too. And I played a lot of video games. And um, I think that's something that you can do while you're waiting. Decompress a bit. And yeah. Okay. This is one of those times where my type A comes out, right? Like very rarely. But I recognize that I had a lot of time that before I started medical school that I like I wanted to get some stuff done. So I ran a marathon because I was like, I'm not going to have time to do that during medical school. Right. So I started training for a marathon about this time last year. I got a lot better at the guitar because I was like, I'm not going to have a lot of time to play in medical school. That's a lie. I play all the time in medical school. I just, I could be a better student, but I do play the guitar quite a bit. I I really think that the, as a tangent, I think that yes, in medical school, you will be busy. You will work hard. I do think that it's a bit of a myth that you will have no time for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you come to a pass fail school. That's my pitch. My point was only sort of in the same line about this decompressing. Like you, you still have to grow as a person, right? Like just because your life is on hold for these 12 months because you're waiting on applications doesn't mean that you can't continue to grow in every other aspect of your life. That's valuable to me, to, to you. Right. So for me, it was running and music. And so I developed those talents for somebody else. It might be, you know, Faith was research. I know that. I continued but, with research. Yeah. But, yeah. but that's just because she loves it. She wasn't doing it to get into medical school. She's an MSTP student. She well, initially I was doing, doing it, it to get into the medical school. And then I fell in love with it and said, I'm going to make this a part of my life for yeah. forever. And oh, then, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. It's a dream. Yeah. Now's arguably the best time to pick up a hobby because you have a built in like 
stop point of if you don't like it, if you can quit as soon as you get in, but spend like this amount of time, these couple months trying a new thing, picking it up. You've got the time to do it. And if it doesn't work out and it's not something you want to continue in medical school, don't. But you can find a new thing and you'll have hopefully a better coping mechanism to bring into medical school as a sort of stress relief. What did you do, Mason? Do you remember that far back? How old do you think I am? (laughs) No, I I feel like I would have like repressed that memory. Oh man! Oh man! In ye olden times, (laughs) I did it. I'm sorry. Back before electricity, when you were back when the dinosaurs were around. So yeah, I got on top of my triceratops and we walked. Well, yeah, what I did during my time, I really didn't do too much fun stuff. I or like. I didn't run a marathon. That checks uh, out. Yeah. But I, I, you know, the working was really valuable for me because I think it, like, it allowed me to develop skills and, like, I got to start to appreciate, like, what I was getting into because I think up until mm-hmm. then, even getting into medical school, I felt like, you know, I didn't have the greatest clinical exposure. So that was a really valuable time to kind of put me in the right headspace before starting. I mean, it was important to kind of have, like, a financial, like, gap because I wasn't in school during that time and uh, didn't have, you know, Uncle Sam giving me money on the side to survive. So yeah. I was learning how to kind of be an adult during that time, which was... I think a good thing for me and yeah now during my waiting time I'm doing the opposite I'd be like trying to learn art and stuff I'm just like nice. trying to have fun and not think too much before a life gets crazy in July trying to learn art and stuff yeah tell I, me more stuff, tell me art more I, I, I've like always wanted to like paint but like okay so like growing up my dad would make me color with him but then he would grade my coloring <laughs> Yeah, solid D minus work, son. Do you know how demoralizing it is as a kindergartner to get a D minus? Exactly. He's like, look at all this patchy white, and then he'd color his own and give him an A plus. And I was like, what is happening? Was he an artist or he just no? (laughs) Not at all. Like the ego boost. There are different parenting styles, and that's one of them. He just needed a dunk on a five year old. So I didn't do art because I thought I was bad at it. Like that was the message I got. So now I'm gonna do some stuff. So this is going back to the therapy thing. Yeah. I started yeah, the therapy time. a couple months ago as well. So. <laughs> Here's the thing. I, I, the thing I will never art. grade my child's coloring. Yeah, I don't think. do it. At least them with problems. <laughs> they go to school. as a parent, I got that one going for me. Or at least if you grade them, give them an <laughs> A. Jeff's kid's like, going to be sitting where Mason is in 20 years talking about what his dad did to him. Yeah, round so, it up. Sometimes I do beat my son in chess and it kind of makes him sad, but that's okay. <laughs> he beats everybody else in the family. He's fine. Here, here's the thing about art. Uh, art you can learn to be a good artist i mean i think you can i think now skill. i know that you can learn to be a good artist so if you're you know if you're casting about for something to do i'm encouraging you to quote unquote do some art i remember taking a, a drawing class in well actually 20 years ago i came here and i was not working at the time my, my wife had a job i did not have a job as when we came here so i took a drawing class at the art school and at the end of the semester, I got the most improved. So <laughs> I could actually, you know, figure draw. It was pretty cool. cool. Also, getting having your TA tell you that you were most improved. I'm not sure if that's an ego boost, but, you know, it worked out for me. Yeah, I mean, humans are like inherently creative beings, right? This is just something that we like to do yeah. for whatever reason. So like if you got some time, learn how to create something. Maybe it's art maybe it's poetry maybe it's fucking tiktok i mean do it you know, do whatever. <laughs> yeah. seriously though like if you just get joy i don't know if i'm, like, I don't know if I'm allowed content. to mention the words tiktok as a state employee of iowa we'll anymore. see if they'll sponsor us yeah That'll be right i mean you could get that bingo space on our like meet everybody during orientation week we played like with people bingo and one of them was is a tiktoker really yeah that's oh what fox God. did <laughs> for one of our days 
Short Coats, we love to hear from you, no matter what it's about. So call us at 347-SHORT-CT with questions, shower thoughts, complaints about your situation, whatever you like. We'll talk about it on the show. Actually, I... You apparently had blocked this out. Feel free to follow me on TikTok, friends. Yeah. I made a bunch of micro bio uh, TikTok videos oh. while I was waiting um, for med school to start. I made like 10 of them last year. So you plugged it in the like, Facebook that? group at the beginning. Yeah, I was going to continue to do it in medical school. Anymore. Guess what? I was a little busy, so I have not continued. But they are good videos. Well, I'm not saying that they're like good quality, they but like, videos. it was good they for me videos. to do it. Like yeah. I, I felt like I was fulfilled doing it because it like allowed me to look and learn something new just for myself. Right. And then put it out there in a content way that was like hopefully helpful for somebody. You know, the hardest thing about putting to find about putting stuff out on the Internet like that, TikTok, Instagram, whatever you're doing is talking yourself out of the idea that it needs to be perfect. It really doesn't. I mean, it had my face in it. That ship sailed before I got started. I, so. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying that, you know, when I you know, when I first started this podcast in 2010, I'm sure it sucked. You know, like I'm sure that it sucked. Has it gotten better? I think it's gotten better. And I continue to iterate on it all the time. You know, that's the I feel like that's the real secret of like enjoying any artistic endeavor or any endeavor at all is to just tell your is to just understand that you will get better and better and better and you will iterate on your successes and you will, I don't know, learn from your failures. And, you know, that's how you get better. That's what you're going to do in medical school. It's about the friends you make along the way. Yeah. That's yes. <laughs> so wholesome. I like this. Let's see. Did you have support systems that you leaned on while you were waiting to hear back? Well, you mentioned therapy and yeah. I guess that's a support system for sure. What other support systems were you able to rely on or did you not? Did you just- friends that you're going through the process with or at least somewhat understand what's going on really helps because you at least, you know, you try not to compare yourself to them getting, you know, an interview back from every school that they applied to and you get less than that. But at least having someone that understands the chaoticness of this process and how it almost feels like it's set up against you because trying to explain it to family members that aren't in medicine or friends that are looking at like getting a job after you graduate and you're like applying for something in May and haven't heard back for like months. And they're like, what is this system? Like, this is crazy. This doesn't make any sense. I know I had like my grandparents were asking me like a month after I submitted my primary ap- application. They were like, so how's it going? And I was like, I had, like it's getting like it's under revision. Uh, They're fact checking it right now. Like, what do you I mean? Assume What's going someone's on? reading it. They have it. I'm hoping. <laughs> but it, yeah, like having people that understand that process or at least somewhat understand that process is helpful so that you're not constantly like justifying that it's okay that you haven't heard back in months or that you know there's this big period of time and this big lapse in communication because people not in medicine will they'll be your biggest allies that this process is set up crazy and it's that period of time is so stressful but they're not going through it and they're they there's a certain limit to how much they can like empathize with you but somebody that Mm -hmm. has gone through it in the past or is planning on going through it or is currently going through it with you is really helpful but at the same time having friends not in medicine that you can not think about your amcas application and just do things with them where you're all not stressing out is also helpful i feel like you've you've tapped into a possible merch idea for the short code podcast which is a t-shirt which says all of the things that you need to tell people on a regular basis about being a medical student 
or applying to be a medical student. Just so you can just wear it and be like, just wear it to Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Here are the answers to your C questions. Number three. Yeah. I've I have an FAQ on my shirt for you. <laughs> like you need it for each stage too, because there's also something to be said about like going home for Thanksgiving after you start med school and everyone's like, so how's it going? And you're like, it's hard. Like we're I'm doing it. And they're like, do you know about like this specific disease? And I'm like, I know how the heart works. Like that's that is what partially so far. Maybe the t- yeah, maybe I still don't know how the heart works. So you're like you're doing good. Maybe you're the t-shirt really would just say don't ask, please. Please. I am on the verge of tears. Please yeah. don't. <laughs> this is not a good coffee. Can we turn to politics or religion, please? That would be great. <laughs> I had somebody over the break ask me like they had some kind of injury and like what layer of the skin is that I don't like the skin layer bro we haven't gotten to that yet <laughs> the, the top we'll get cl- <laughs> clearly the top layer maybe the second layer I will say it's just thing we ripped off in anatomy to yeah, get to yeah. yeah it was just in the way don't tell any of the dermatologists that I said that the skin is just the stuff so that's in the way like all of them and he's coming to Hopkins you need to watch for him yeah, yeah. so. I agree, but also going through it with somebody else can be somewhat stressful. So my wife and I both applied at the same time. And wow, that's like double the stress, double the fun, you know? So I don't know how every time one of us got an interview and the other one didn't, we just got to both of us got to be anxious. Right. Mm -hmm. And that for 15 different schools. So that was so much fun. So that, that can be hard. But also we got to commiserate, which is a blessing. You're definitely right on that. It's really nice to have that one person that knows exactly where you're at in the process. I met my now spouse two months after I submit primary applications. And then we figured out pretty quickly that this is going to be serious. So I really had to get dialed. So that added an extra layer of stress. But it was nice to have someone who's like, this is an absurd process. That it wasn't like I'm like just sitting there like, oh, this is, you know, this is everything. And they're like, you know what? This really isn't like, like, you'll be fine if things don't work out. So like having a voice of reason, they were absolutely wonderful for that of like, you know, it'll be fine no matter which way we go. So it's nice to have like people who know. And it's nice to have people who don't, particularly when they're close to you, because it kind of helps find that balance to hopefully keep you even keeled. Yeah. Yeah. Because as you two both have said, you and Faith have both said at this point, this is a weird environment, a weird system that you're sort of buying into or being forced to buy into. I feel like we should, you know, do maybe in act three, we'll do like things about medical school that would put an undergrad into a coma. I, like legitimately, I have a friend who was originally like very recently applying to a bunch of PhD programs and she was like, wow, this sucks, but it's still better than applying to medical school. And I'm like, <laughs> You're right. It's medical school. The whole process is just weird. Having friends that were applying to grad programs at the same time I was applying to medical school was the most like bewildering thing because they'd be like yeah i heard back i've got an interview you know like in a couple weeks they took me out for drinks yeah i'd be like i have not heard back from anyone like they sent me they're still reviewing stuff like i'm doing my best over here they're they're still deciding if they want to send me more information for me to fill out so why is it like this I don't. Why is I, I want to blame okay, the Flexner report? It's probably not true, but it feels like a good catch-all. I have very strong feelings. I feel like it's because there is an endless supply. Like, okay, and it continues to residency, but they have. I don't know why, but like, like I don't know why everybody wants. There's so many people want to be a doctor, but it's because there's so many people that are like in. Like, there's so many people that will be ready to take your place at any given time. They understand that like med schools also have to make a decision and they have caps and they can only afford a certain number of students. And there's only so many cadavers. Like I remember somebody said like, oh yeah, like our med school increased one cadaver. So now we can have four more students in our class. And I think the reason that it's so stressful and the way it's so different is like, there isn't like a methodology into getting in, you know, it's not like college where like you just, all you have to do is pass these classes. And like, yes, like that can be super challenging, but you know, you fail one class, you like retake it and you figure out a way to like, 
pass that class and you get your degree. It's just like so not like that in med school. And the reason it's so anxiety provoking and the way it's so different is that like you can just like do everything right. Like you can have, I mean, I had so many friends that had like the best MCAT scores objectively, like, you know, 4.0 GPAs. They had done the research, they'd done the volunteering, but you're put into, again, this ecosystem where there's more spots or sorry, more people than spots. And so you don't know that you're going to get in the next year. And like somebody can tell you do more volunteering, you do that. And I mean, I had a friend who just got into med school. This is his fourth time applying. And he's like, I don't know that my application was like so much better than my pretty good application four years ago. So that's like a, sorry, it's like a sad, the sad situation took a turn, but like, it is just, I think I just want to acknowledge that it is defeating. And like, I've been there, like not getting in one year and like, and also just like the financial cost of that is pretty huge. Like every year you don't get in, it should just be acknowledged that like, we all have loans. We all have like our own situations and the cost of not getting in every single year you don't get in is a physician's salary. You know, like that's what that cost is really. And you know, I'm like minimum set what's that salary going to be like multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so it's just a hard reality, not getting in over and not knowing whether you'll ever, you know, be able to recuperate that projected loss because you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And even if it's not like, even if you ignore all of the like economic opportunists or like, sunken costs or whatever my like high school economics teacher is going to be so mad that I don't know that anymore but even if you ignore all of that you ignore all of the time that you put into this like all of these huge mm-hmm. factors at the end of the day it's you're going to all these schools saying this is my dream this is how hard I've worked to get here this is everything that I've done to show you that I can do this and they're just like yeah. no we don't believe you or like <laughs> no we don't want you and yeah. like that emotional cost far so over like any time or any money that you put into it which is not negligible at all but just to be told like no we're not going to let you do your dream like is crushing so yeah that's take time to like prepare yourself for that get in therapy as someone that waited to get in therapy until med school like early as possible get that out of the way look at it this way you know as you wait to find out if you're quote unquote good enough for med school remember that Medical school itself is filled with opportunities to be evaluated, not just on your intellect or your abilities, but on your personality. Mason, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. It's so great. This constant like nitpicking where like you don't feel comfortable with all the people because you don't know what they're going to say about your new evaluation. That's going to go to all your residency programs. And yeah, I was definitely a very kind of quiet, cheapest person. And it didn't come back to bite me too much. But I know for some people, they get kind of called out for being quiet and you know, maybe they don't know as much or the attendees don't think they know as much because they're they not being invited to. Or, yeah. Right. So there's definitely a lot of uh, some really challenging things that are going to continue to go on. So I kind of want to echo this. Get your help early. Get involved with therapy early. Learn about yourself and kind of build med that school. shield for yourself. <laughs> Love this message. Med school will put you into therapy if and, you aren't already there. And meds and like therapy is like not just like, a, oh, wow, med school must be bad. You need therapy. I think it's like it's something that we should take advantage of more as like people. It's like building up a set of skills and having like a, someone who can, you know, equip you. Cause like regardless if you go to med school or not, we all have kind of these challenging things that come up in mental health. So it's nice to like have a plan before things get bad rather than waiting till the sky's falling. That is a fine point. Actually, that's a really good point. We recognize yeah. the need to go and like see, you know, your primary care physician every year to get that help and make those connections and, you know, run labs to see if something's going to get bad to see if you're going to like, if you're on the edge of developing these certain conditions, but for some reason, when it comes to our own like mental health, we don't recognize it. We are so good about seeing it for physical health, or at least I would hope this is going to get into like a big like access of healthcare kind of thing. But like 
at least in medical school, most of us recognize that doctors are important. I feel like I can say that. But for some reason, when it extends from doctors for physical health to, you know, therapists for mental health or whoever you're seeing for mental health, like that connection kind of breaks and they can really help you. I think yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Faith. No, <laughs> I think that this kind of brings up like Anani, you were talking about like how it's a, kind of a numbers game at the end of the day. And I think just for anyone who is currently in like waiting or their cycle has not gone how they wanted it to, like just remember that these results do not equate to your worth. And I think it's easy after so many years of working so hard to create this application that you are, you are putting all of your worth into that. And that's not true. You know, that there's always next year. There's always ways that you can grow and it'll happen. And I would just like to add that like med school's mentally difficult by design. It's supposed to be. I think of it like um, I'll use a sports analogy for all the sports fans out there. Spring training is a thing, right? And the reason why spring training is a thing is because the season is going to be physically grueling. Therefore, we need to condition you to be able to manage that. <clears throat> our field is emotionally and mentally grueling and there's really nothing that you can do to take that out because we're dealing with life and death situations right so you can't make it not grueling to deal with life and death situations or at least i don't think that it would be ethical or ideal to do so medical school is mentally difficult so that we can learn the coping skills to be able to process that some of that might very well mean going to therapy to learn the coping skills to be able to handle that but knowing that it's not that they're just being mean to us. I mean, I'm sure there's probably some professors some days that are just kind of jaded and grumpy and they just want to be mean to the students. Same with attendings. That happens, right? But also we're going into a field where we need to be able to carry the emotional burden of making those types of life or death calls. So the pre-med process, the medical school process, even the application process, these are opportunities, if we take them, to start practicing those skills of mental fortitude and by all means go to therapy so that you can learn those skills. That's one of the best things you can get from therapy is just learning better skills. Well, I hope that our listeners will get in touch with us and tell them about their feelings about waiting, whether you're a pre-med waiting to get into medical school or you're a... M4, who's waiting to hear back from residency programs. Um, love to hear about that and how you're coping with it and what you're doing and whether or not that's working out for you. So, you know, give us a call, 347-SHORT-CT. Send us an email at shortcoats at gmail.com. We'll talk about it on the show. Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. And don't forget to tag us in your post. Thank you. Recent weeks have seen an interesting development in the way prospective students find out about medical schools. And you probably know this already. A growing number of schools are dropping out of the influential U.S. News and World Report rankings. There is a full there is a rebellion of sorts going on among the schools dropping out. Harvard, Penn, Columbia, Duke, University of Chicago, WashU. There are others. They're decided no longer to contribute data to the rankings, which have been around since around uh, 1983 these schools all believe that the methodology used to determine the school's rank don't count things like graduation rates aid for low-income students things that are you know important culture things that are important this followed all but the two all but two of the top 14 law schools dropping out starting with yale an article on fierce healthcare cites former association associate 
Association of American Medical College executives in a commentary nearly a decade ago who said higher education leaders feel rankings don't account for the varied and complex missions of each institution, create incentives for schools to report misleading or inaccurate data, support policies that boost rankings rather than other more noble objectives, divert financial aid from needier students to high scoring students with means, among other problems. So do you guys remember using these rankings at all? This is my question. Did you use these rankings to sort of figure out where you might apply? I used them, looked at the methodology and realized this makes, why would I use this? So I was interested in using because people talk about, oh, you know, are you going to go to a top 20 school or not? But the second I looked and saw like how much it was weighted towards like research funding, at which I was like, I don't know if that really matters to me as a student. Like, yeah, I want to be involved with research, but like there's probably a certain threshold where a student you know, needs institutional support that could be reflected by that. And then like MCAT scores were part of it. It's like, okay, so that just tells me they're picking people. But I would like to know what's the difference between their MCAT score percentile and like their step score percentile. Mm. Taking good students and making them great. Are they taking students with below average MCATs and giving them great like things that just weren't going to tell me anything. So I just kind of, you know, dropped and was like, okay, this isn't going to help me. Yeah, it really doesn't say much if you just like don't ruin them, right? Like, such a low bar. Yeah. You came in with a 520 exactly. and we don't ruin the students. Step. Okay, like he's a good student. Like, yeah, I think probably one of the biggest biggest reasons that we could all recognize how much of a farce it is NYU, right? NYU is a phenomenal program, but the fact that they made it free for all schools, for all students because of that recent endowment a few years ago, and then they just shot up to number two in the rankings because of how many students they could turn away because now they can accept all of the students that have 522 MCATs and now they're number two. Like they didn't change. The only thing that the only thing that changed was they were now rejecting students that they had like recently been accepting. That doesn't give us any idea of what kind of program they have. Right. I'm sure it was a great program, but I don't know. That's that kind of thing just kind of makes it feel like it's not a very useful data set anyway. So I think I use the like each school's report of their own stats that they ultimately like send in for ranking to figure out you know, where I was competitive, but in terms of like compiling all of those and what somebody says is, you know, a number whatever school I didn't use. Plus, if you look at it, there's so many ties in that. There's like 10 schools tied for number 21. And it's at that point, it becomes obsolete. Yeah. Doesn't make the MSAR, I think, is the better. Yes. Um, well, here's the thing. Is like, what does that stand for? Medical school admissions requirements. Admissions requirements. Yeah. So you just had to look it up. The U.S. news can literally just get a subscription to the MSAR for $28 and still continue to do the exact same rankings. Everything is public information that they're ranking them by. The only thing that this changes is that schools aren't participating in the ranking. So they actually have to be, you know, real journalists, right? That said, I do think that it's like how Harvard did it. I thought it was so snarky and perfect. Not only did they say, we're not going to do this anymore. They waited to the last day that they could report and said, we're not going to do this anymore. So everybody else is locked in. And then they're saying, no, we're not going to participate. I, I didn't realize like, that. The sassiest way to approach that. Which I, I it must be nice to be a top school. Like, uh, I feel like most of these schools that, that you know, initially anyway, started this rebellion were all like, you know, Harvard, Yale. And like, I don't think, I don't think, yeah. I don't think these schools no. need U.S. News and World Reports really yeah. to. It would be, it's like the tar- the reputation of Harvard will not change because of this, right? If the University of Wisconsin had decided to do this, people that have no idea what the quality of their education were, they might start doubting like, oh, there's a reason that they don't want to participate. Harvard, they have the luxury of saying, 
Everybody knows we're the best. Yeah, it doesn't is, matter if you put us number one. What is this Harvard you speak of? They yeah. arguably can only go down. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they they are hurt by low rankings. Yeah. But the high rankings really aren't adding anything to them. And like the cynic in me is saying that like mid-level schools or anybody that's in the middle that isn't relying on like name recognition alone, in addition to like being a great program, but name recognition is a big part of it, is pulling themselves because they don't need it but everyone in the middle is going to wait for like well, we were ranked like number 10 and like just asterisk like after everyone else had like pulled out and then like throw that up on the website pull yourself out and then like it's good would i like to see everybody like leave at the same time do i really want carver to do that absolutely because i you know for all the reasons that have been said but the cynic in me knows that like the power of having that on there would contribute yeah. a lot so I struggle. I think my bias is towards saying that like any kind of ranking system, this is like not a reasonable take, but it is my take. I think it's very, it's like only dangerous to the people in it. And it only really benefits the people who are being ranked. So like, it's kind of like what you're saying, like Harvard, Yale will not change. I think I struggle because I think when we make this ranking system and like, I know the point that they pulled out, but when there was this ranking system, it does nothing for candidates. It only benefits these students. Like what Jeff is saying, like Harvard will continue to make more money and continue to get more applications if they have a number one like number next to their rank list. It's it like breeds. I think this career like breeds a lot of like you know it first of all attracts people who like you know like we want to assume that everyone is like doing this for the right reason but it attracts a lot of people who like want to go to an institution just because it's number two or number three or number four on the list. And, yeah, and it's competitive or it's. Yes, you know, exactly. It's a competitive it's, it's, instinct yeah. or they're, they yes. just want to go to the best, exactly. the quote unquote best school. Yeah. Yeah. And it also perpetuates that system because, for example, like and, you know, like so when every M4 like leaves here, they like submit a report commenting on all these different parts of their school. And, and the students are incentivized to report. Everything was amazing because then that keeps your school at a high ranking. And then when you apply to residency, you get to be from a school that has a high ranking and nothing changes and it's again like it only hurts us and it only benefits them like we don't we are trying like these you know intangibles like how good was the community and like how much support did i have to like go to a conference and present these things are never reported on and unfortunately we like the you know the way that the system is that there's so many like you know stop points there's like a residency and a fellowship and whatever and every step of the way this is the criteria they're looking for like you know some programs not all are like what school were they from and like what is the vibe of that school like what is the rating of that school so i don't know i'm just inclined to be very against it and i think this is like a good step towards creating i know it's like i know there will never be a true system without any rankings i know we will continue to like stratify programs but i just feel like they're the best way if i'm a student all i want to really know is like what are people actually like i like mason saying i don't really care about what their research endowment is i want to know like what funding do students have to like present or like what time is there for you to pursue like your own projects in med school i think these measures are more valid and more actually relatable to us as opposed to like whose rich white granddaddy gave five thousand million dollars to the school i just don't care you know i don't know i noticed too on the residency trail right like there's part of that where you're like oh oh my gosh i'm interviewing with someone from harvard like how do i deserve to be here but then you talk with the program directors like hey we had a resident here from iowa a couple years back and like she did awesome so like you know that's why we invited you so i think even though like you know your school matters for how people think about you for better or worse so you know good program directors will look off the rankings go hey you know we have this experience with 
these people. And uh, yeah, that's why you're here is because they were awesome and they said awesome things about you. So we don't care about anything else. But yeah, I think once you realize like that prestigious pedigree is really just only important to the people in ivory towers and you can take yourself out of there, then all of a sudden the world of medicine becomes a lot more open and interesting. I had fun interviewing at these community programs that like wouldn't get any play, but then you hear about all the cool procedures they're doing and how much autonomy the residents get compared to like, you know, if you go to a big prestigious academic institution, patients aren't coming to see you. They're coming to see famous attending so-and-so like you're not going to probably have the same training experience. So yeah, it's like the second you kind of step away and say, you know what, I'm not going to let prestige rule my decisions. Man, life gets more fun. The shift from this is a great institution to this is a great institution for me. It Mm -hmm. needs to be it because all of the stats in the world can tell you, you know, what's going to be a good fit for you, what community resources are available that you need, what, you know, research funding is something that really mattered to me, which is why our lists would look totally different of what's good programs for us, what are good schools for us. But at the end of the day, the objective great schools ranking was the exact same. But it meant totally different things to us. So having removing yourself from looking or removing your program from being on the, you know, what are the great schools to here's everything about us. Here's all the information you need to make a decision about whether we're right for you. If you think we're a great fit, we would love to have you like or we'd love to talk to you more about it is a better way of doing it. And it kind of gets on some stuff we were talking about earlier of like separating yourself from like the need to be great and this need to like have all of your self-worth tied to this like achievements. So yeah, just another plug for therapy. Separate that out as early as possible. Know what's good for you and not what everyone else is saying. I'm hopeful, but what I really want to see, because I don't know if anybody's read the letter that Harvard, the Harvard Dean of the Medical School had put out when they decided to pull out, when they like officially declared it, right? He said the reason why they wanted to do it is because of the perverse incentives. I want to see how much that changes. It means nothing if they say, yeah, we're doing this because we're tired of just getting the kids with the 523 MCATs and we want a more diverse patient or student population. If they don't do that, then it doesn't really matter, right? But I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that you'll start seeing these institutions that were just chasing numbers start to pick variables or or pick metrics that actually matter to them, right? Things that match their vision. Yeah. Because the mission of every school is not get the student that has the 520 MCAT. That's a dumb mission, right? That's not helping anybody. But if it's to give access to first-generation physicians, right, or it's to decrease income inequality in this country by making sure that those from a lower socioeconomic strata can get up here, if that's part of their mission, and that's how they advertise, and that's how they recruit, that's a whole nother thing. I'd like to see that. And just it, it becomes so intangible that you can't rank that, right? And that's why we haven't ranked it. And I still would like to see how they handle that going forward. I think, you know, and I think like, I guess it's like more of a residency perspective, but I love what you said. And I think there are ways to, there's no ranking system that will show you this, but like, I am noticing like, you know, like what I'm thinking about like residency, I think like, you know, like some of these like name brand programs or whatever you want to call them, you look at their residency class and you can like trace it back, you know, you can do some stalking and like, I don't. Is this what your research is on in Baltimore? You're just This is what my research is. It's on residency. (laughs) 
experience. <laughs> but you like do some like, you know, you look into these candidates and like, I'm not inclined to like believe a program that like gives lip service to like exactly the things you're saying that like we treat a diverse patient population. We like choose to have residents from underrepresented backgrounds and you look at them and they all fit a very specific type of person. And we can all know what that person looks like. I'm like way more inclined to look at a program and like see an actual diversity and see like second career physicians and see, you know, like PMD PhDs. And like, you know, like it's, I think if you do your own research, it's like, it's pretty, you can figure it out. You can, you know, do that. And I'm sure that's a little bit more difficult for medical school. It's a little bit less trans, you know, like seeing all the medical students in a class is not really like as broadcasted as, you know, like seeing all the residents are posted usually and their institutions are posted and it's obviously more transparent, but to talk to people at the med school and like figure out what the profile actually is. I remember right before I took the MCAT, the AAMC, the company that makes the MCAT, put out a study showing that there was no statistical association between MCAT scores and the quality of a physician. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Let's go take this test, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. so Can't wait to spend great. the next eight hours doing this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, it, I, sorry for the pre-meds. It's one of the hoops that we have to jump through right now, and that's fine because we don't have anything better. That's not really a great <laughs> argument for it, but it, that's the argument. That's fine. But like understanding that, I think schools should be very cautious about trying to use that as a metric of whether or not this is a student that we want. To that point, it's important to remember that, you know, when you see, you know, what MCATs do schools take, you're not going to see a threshold. You're going to see an average. I think you usually get average and then you get usually a 25 to 75 percent. Yeah. And then, I mean, I want to see all the numbers. To to be fair, NYU does have on their site their last classes full range which i thought was very good of them to do that but that's very rare but yeah it it doesn't tell the you know the average doesn't tell the whole story and even the 25 and 75 doesn't really tell the entire story so you know i guess if you're thinking about applying to schools you know don't worry if your if your mcat is a little low that's only part of the story that's one thing i kind of always thought was like the average is an average right which means there has to be, be people below it yeah and above it so half the people are below and half the people are above. yeah so you gotta understand you know what that means for you yeah i definitely applied to schools that i was on the lower end of the rank and i interviewed at them Mm -hmm. and it worked out fine you know and then some schools i was well above and they still rejected me you know so here we are you know so i'm like remembering back to the lecture we had on like different like curves and skewed versus left skewed data and the more your average gets closer to like the cap the more numbers, the higher concentration you're going to have of people that are all right there, that are all getting a 528. And so the variation that you can have kind of on the le- the lower end of the curve gets so much wider because you have this like huge block of people that are sitting at the top that are all above it. So there are so many lower scores than what the average would lead you to believe because the data is skewed. And the data is skewed because there's a cap to the test. Like you can't get uh, 7 million on the MCAT like if you can props to you but like <laughs> they cap the score so at a certain point that like, data is going to have to be stopped and everything else that falls below it is such a bigger variation and so it's important to yeah don't let that stop you well I hope that our listeners don't let things stop them <laughs> the dumbest thing I've said all day. <laughs> uh, I mean, is it? <laughs> it was earnest. It was earnest. Yes. Well, I know that there's. Like I was a, making an attempt at a transition. I know that there's a study out there that shows that, like, you know, the med school student that we all picture in our mind that has, like, that is knows that they're going to get in are more likely to take risks 
when it comes to like reaching for things that they don't know if they're going to achieve or not. And as you continue to stack up like underrepresented like demographics to a person, they become less and less willing to like take that risk of, you know, applying to a program that's, you know, they're on the very low end of their MCAT cutoff or they, you know, don't have as many clinical or research hours as everybody else who's applying. And as, as you continue to stack up those underrepresented demographics, they become less and less likely because the stakes are higher. Like you, you, you have, want to yeah. get in. Yeah. Right. And, have, and so you're going to apply to the places where you feel like you have the most chance to get in rather than. And you have less of a safety net to not get in yeah. because the way our society works. Well, we've changed all that today by having this discussion. Our society <laughs> is better for it. Thanks. That's our show. Hind, Jeff, Mason, Ananya, Faith, thanks for being on the show with me today. Thanks, Dave. My pleasure. And what kind of self-important, smug, complacent, grandiose, arrogant windbag would I be if I didn't thank you, Shortcoats, for making us a part of your week? If you're new here and you like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Thanks to the producer of this episode, Matt Engelkin. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine, student government, and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm Dave Etler saying don't let the bastards get you down. Talk to you in one week. Hi, Shortcoats. Look, life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult. And I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help that you need. And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you and I'm glad you're here and other people are too. This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com.